This podcast is a production of Schweitzer, a United Methodist Church, transforming lives by making disciples of Jesus Christ. Well, you wonder where those folks uh, got their attitudes toward uh, money and wealth and possessions. And do you ever stop and wonder about where we got our attitudes as well? We, what is it that's shaping us and forming us in terms of our whole relationship with money and possessions? James Bryan Smith, in the, in the book, The Good and Beautiful Life, as we work through that book, as we work through learning to live like Jesus, he talks about how that there's these narratives that are written like wax on our minds. You know, the, the wax forms and it shapes us. And, you know, I think there's two primary things that are good predictors on how we feel when we think about a lot of things, including money. One predictor is our childhood experiences, early childhood experiences, and you add to that just our daily consumption, what it is that we're exposed to, whatever we're always thinking about, everyday life. Those two things are really good predictors in terms of my values and my behavior and my attitudes toward everything, especially toward money. Suze Orman is a popular financial consultant And she talks about this early childhood memory that she had of her father running into this business that was on fire, his business. And he grabs this metal, hot metal cash register, and he runs out of the building, burning um, in his hands, excruciating pain, but rescuing the money. And Suze Orman says... What was imprinted on my mind was that money is very important, worth endangering your life for. Think a moment about your childhood or how you're being raised right now. How was money dealt with in your family, or was it dealt with, especially in your family of origin? Did your family worry about money? Did they work hard for money? How did they use money? How did they spend money? Did they save money? Did they ever give money? Did they worry about it? How was money valued as a kid largely shapes the narratives of how we view things today. Plus, you add into that all the daily consumption. The average 60-year-old person in my generation will have watched 2 million commercials on television. 2 million Many of them shaping our thoughts and our minds about how we need to worry about money or save money or especially how we need to just spend money as consumerists. And so I'm here to tell you that these two things are coming at us all the time. And it's really important, isn't it, for us to know what is shaping our thoughts. Now, today we're talking about how do we live without greed. And we're going to turn to the scriptures in just a moment. And we're going to give Jesus a crack at it. Okay? We want to give Jesus a crack at our minds and our thoughts about how he views money. And what is the wisdom behind the way in which we value it and use it to God's glory. But before I do that, I do want to answer one question. I have been asked, since the subject is on greed, for Cardinal fans... Is it greedy for us to want another World Series title? Absolutely not. You're right. Got that right. 
This greed, avarice, is really focusing on our material possessions and our own personal money. Okay, here we go. On the front of your Pray, Study, Grow material, you may want to grab that because we're going to really spend some time, some time giving Jesus a crack at us, okay? I hope that no matter what the narrative is that's written on your mind, on my mind, about this sensitive and relevant topic, that we really let Jesus' words shape our thinking and our thoughts today. So Jesus says these words, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth or rust consumes and where thieves do not break in and steal. So Jesus says there's two treasures, right? There's the earthly treasure and then there's the heavenly treasure. The earthly treasure has to do with things that moth could eat or the weather could rust or thieves could steal. Very clear. The heavenly treasure, however, is, are those things, those places where we invest our life and our money, where moth can't eat it and weather can't rust it and thieves can't break in and steal. How many of you have ever suffered from buyer's remorse? Where you buy something that you thought you needed and you paid the price tag for it only to discover that it wasn't that long until it didn't really bring you a lot of happiness especially if you had to keep paying it off for months or years. I mean, buyer's remorse is rampant in our culture. But how many of you have suffered from giver's remorse? (laughs) You know, I've had a lot of buyer's remorse in my life where I bought things I didn't need or I couldn't afford. But at the end of the day... I don't regret anything that I've given to the kingdom of God. And I think the big hurt or the disappointment in our life is we might get to the end of our life sometime and the giver's remorse might be, oh my goodness, I could have given more energy to that. God was really doing something at this time in my life. I could have invested more of myself there. I could have put more of my time and my money into that because that is what really mattered. You see the difference between earthly treasure and heavenly treasure? You know, Jesus knows that we need food and clothing and shelter. We're going to talk more about that next week in terms of not how to worry about those things. But Jesus is really calling us to this this idea that we need to invest in his heavenly bank account. Now, how do we do that? You can't just drive up to some physical location and say, I want to deposit $1,000 here for the kingdom of God. You can't go online and do that, right? But here's how I think we do it. We invest in people. Because people is the only thing on this earth that's going to live forever. Their eternal souls, their life, their spirit. When you look carefully at Jesus and the way Jesus lived his life, He was always about people. He was always about loving people. Especially people who thought uh, they weren't worth anything. Or, Or the castaways. Or the people on the fringes. Or the people that had given up on life. 
And yes, he loved the rich as well. He loved them all, the religious, the non-religious. Jesus really invested his whole life in people. I think that's what it really means for us to invest in the kingdom of God. Because whatever I do for people, moth can't eat it, weather can't rust it, and thieves can't take it away. Now, there is that other verse that was popped up earlier. I didn't forget about it. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Now, this is the most misquoted verse probably in all the Bible. Look at it. Oftentimes, we say it this way. Where your heart is, there your treasure will be. That's not what Jesus says. How many times have you heard in our culture, you've got to follow your heart? You've got to follow your heart. Well, what if your heart's messed up? <laughs> what if your heart is so consumed about the messages that we got from our childhood or the messages that we get from the television or the Internet? Now, Jesus is saying this. Where your treasure is, there your heart's going to follow that. And so when I put my treasure and I stockpile my treasure in the things that really matter, the purposes of God that are eternal or continuous, oh, I can follow my heart. I can trust my heart. That's what Jesus is calling us to. Let's look at some more words of Jesus. Uh, and here's some interesting words, uh, the next verses, 22 and 23. He says these words. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy, your whole body would be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? I'd been reading this scripture for 50-some years, and I never really understood it until James Bryan Smith in this book casts a clear image of what Jesus is talking about. In Jesus' day, unhealthy eyes and healthy eyes meant something very different. Healthy eyes meant open hands. Living life generously, living life in a sense of of flow, of receptivity, living life in a way where I knew it wasn't about me, living life with eyes wide open. But unhealthy eyes was like closed fists, tight fists, miserliness, greediness, grabbing for things. And Jesus is saying you can live one of those two kind of ways, healthy with open hands or unhealthy with, with a closed fist, especially in terms of our attitude toward the resources of our life. Now, there's some wonderful examples of how then we are to live in a cash flow kind of a way. Don't you love the way Jesus did this himself? He modeled this. Remember that story where he took a, a little boy's, a few fish and loaves, and he took that meal and he multiplied it and fed 5,000 people. Or when he goes into Jerusalem, he borrows a donkey that final time in Jerusalem where he's praised as the king, he just says, well, you'll find this donkey tied to a rope here. Would you get that for me? Or the upper room where they shared the last meal. That was just a borrowed room. Jesus was able to receive. And yet he would take whatever people gave him and he would use it to bless other people. He even needed a grave where they buried his body, but he didn't need it too long. Just a couple of nights. Because Jesus is marvelously and wonderfully alive. 
And Jesus knows everything about how to live life. He did it on earth. And he knows about how we're to live our life today with a sense of openness, an open-handedness, a desire to help people. I love that newscast this week about Chick-fil-A. Did you see that news? Down, I think it was down in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where somebody paid for somebody else's meal behind them in the car behind them, and they kept paying it forward and paying it forward till 60 different times, 60 cars worth, people were paying it forward, paying the meal for the person or the family that was behind them. That's that kind of spirit. Yesterday, we had a wonderful thing that happened at Hammond's Field. I think we got a picture of this, of 11,000 shoes in soul food that popped up in Hammond's Field. The, this effort was led by college students from our five colleges and universities in town. College students don't tend to have a lot of money, do they? But you know what? They led the effort, and these shoes are going to be brought over to Africa and the money that's given for those shoes is going to be turned into food and resources that will help people that are hungry. That's, that's a wonderful example, isn't it? A flow of using ourselves, our time, our energy, our effort, the shoes that we wear to help people that don't even have shoes in Africa and help put feed, food on the table right here in the States or right here in Springfield. But are you willing, friends, to trust Jesus with the cash flow of your life? Are you willing to, to say, you know, before I buy something, am I willing to ask myself these questions? Do I really need this? Will it bring me lasting joy and true happiness? Or will I have buyer's remorse? And if I don't buy something, how much will that free up for some heavenly purpose or cause for God. You know, I think that's what Jesus is really getting at in the heart of this whole message. This idea about living with healthy eyes and open hands. Do we really trust Jesus with the cash flow of our life? You know, 2010 was a year that I really learned to trust Jesus at a different level than I had before in terms of cash flow. 2010 was a recession year. Uh, family income was down. Our family income down, was down. My, my wife's uh, employment went from full-time to part-time. And while that was happening, uh, just like so many people at Schweitzer, by golly, we were not going to give less to the church. Our giving to the operations continued. And in the midst of that, the problem was we had a capital campaign as two. And we made a commitment for three years on top of that. And it was all about now, the wonderful fruit of that we see with our new kids' wing and our outreach center and all the amazing ministry that's going on in that building every day, including last night. And so we were in a real crunch here. Our income was down. Our giving to the church had to go up. And our expenditures also went up that year. Our daughter, Alexandra, of all things, that was the year she decided to study abroad in Spain. And, of course, Mom and Dad had to go see her. More expenses. I didn't know that Jason Cutler had on his mind that he was going to ask her to marry him. We had an unexpected wedding to take care of. Through the whole year, it was just like God was saying to me, Trust me. Trust me. And I cannot tell you 
how this happened except in God's economy. But at the end of the year, we had just as much money in the bank at the end as we did at the beginning. I'm not saying this to tell you, give money to God or the church and you're going to get X number of dollars back. That's not the message at all. No, it's just simply, do we trust him? Do we trust Jesus with the cash flow of our life? Is he really the God of our money and the God of our life? Do we trust him with our income and the way that we use money and the way that we use our possessions and the way that we help people and how much we decide to save and how much do we decide to give? One final verse that Jesus tells us. He says, no one. I looked this up in the Greek, by the way. Do you know what no one means in the Greek? No one. <laughs> no one. Not you, not me, not anyone in this room. No one in this world can serve two masters. A slave will either hate the one or be devoted to the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. You know, money is a great commodity, but it makes a mighty poor God. Money is a wonderful thing. Resources are a wonderful thing. Our possessions, all that we've been given in life, all that we choose to have, buy or not to have, can be used to God's glory and God's kingdom. Just like Jesus used the little boy's fishes and loaves, or someone's donkey, or someone's upper room. But if we make money and wealth and possessions the focus of our life, that will drain the milk of human kindness right out of us. So Jesus is telling us on this very sensitive, very relevant topic, you got to choose. And folks, down through the ages, the truth is this. Money and possessions have been the chief rival God of the real true creator and savior of our, of our world. Here's some questions I want to just ask you to ask yourself. Questions that I wrestle with myself. Questions from James Bryan Smith's book. Do I consider my assets for my benefit alone? Or do I use what I have in my assets for God's purposes? Am I generous with all that God has given me and allowed me to have? Is affluence getting in the way of my living for God? Do I recognize God's wonderful generosity toward me? Do I understand this? What is my attitude toward money right now? And I love this question. Do I tell money what to do? Or does it tell me what to do? Cash flow. God's generosity to us. I want to share with you a closing story about what happened to us around here last July that I think demonstrates what happens in a church and in a community 
when Jesus is kind of the CEO of things. Last July, I stood up here on a Sunday morning and I shared with you that we were purchasing chairs for Outreach Center, that we had had a couple that gave us $4,000 for chairs. But we needed $8,000 more. If anyone would like to give for those chairs, please see me, uh, give, give the extra money. I had one lady walk up and she gave me $3. She just emptied out her money out of her pocket. This is all I got. You got it. Had a guy that was not even a part of this community. He says, I'm just visiting, but I believe so much in what you're doing here. Here's 40 bucks. I want to buy one chair. We had different gifts of all different sizes. $5,000 came in. The next morning, a guy came into my office, came into my office and he said, I want to pay up the rest for those chairs. And he wrote out the check for the remaining amount. The next day on Tuesday, I had a guy call me and say, hey, how much do you need for those chairs? I said, well, you know, the chairs are taken care of, but we have this curtain that we need between the food pantry area and the worship area. And he says, I'm good with that. And he wrote me out the check for the curtain. The next day, I had a guy... He was so thrilled about vacation Bible school that was going on that week. And he, he called me and he said, Bob, I'm, I'm writing a check for $10,000 today. I want to pay for everything that happens in vacation Bible school. And whatever's left over, would you use that to buy some more chairs? I, I said, well, we've got the chairs covered, but we do have this prayer room that we're wanting to create. We need carpet and furnishings for the prayer room. Is it okay if whatever's left over can go for the prayer room? He said, sure, I'm good with that. The next morning, Thursday morning, he had a guy take me to breakfast. He said, how much do you need to finish off those chairs? Well, a matter of fact, we've got them taken care of. But we do have this refrigerator that we need to buy for our food pantry that closes things out and really serves our clients well. And he wrote the check. Another couple on Saturday emailed me, weren't even members of the church yet, and said, we want to pay for some chairs. Well, we've got the chairs covered, but we are creating this prayer wall. And in the prayer wall, our vision is that people will be writing their prayers um, as we dedicate this building to God. And people in the future will, will continue to write their prayers as God reminds us that he's up to something around here. I just share that, those stories with you to say, God is up to something around here. And God is the CEO of Schweitzer. He owns this place, lock, stock, and barrel. It's his. He's in charge of the cash flow. We've always got projects. We've always got needs. But we're not worried because God is providing. And he doesn't only want to be the CEO of Schweitzer. He wants to be the CEO of your life. Your businesses, your home. So let Jesus be the CEO of your cash flow. How do you live without greed? You live with open hands. That's willing to share, to receive and do as God directs your life. It's the only way to live. And it's a whole lot of fun.